podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. And we are back up. Episode something. This is episode two digit number. 30 something. Yeah. Four, 33, 35. There's I know it's something. one of those. I'm going to start this one off up with, what's your favorite scary movie? And don't answer that. We've probably answered that question a hundred mm. times between TCK and 911 calls and Brutal and everything else. I just wanted to open up with that question because it's fitting for this episode in particular. And I honestly wish that we had never answered that question in the past. Yeah. I, I uh, Every time you ask me, that's one of the things that I have not like baked and then locked into my heart brain as a passionate answer I have at the ready. So I always have to kind of think about it again. Yeah. Like right now, the if I if you said what's your favorite scary movie, I'd say, well, I watched a documentary just recently on the Enron uh, issue that came up several, you know, a decade ago. I'm like, that was pretty scary. <laughs> mm. You're the only person actually that would answer with an Enron documentary. Well, I don't know. Anyways, don't know. December twentieth, nineteen ninety six. Scream is released up, and we all know what Scream is about. Teenagers getting killed by a guy in a mask. It had a pretty great cast, though. The lovely Neff Campbell, Matthew Lillard, Skeet, Ul- Skeet Ulrich, which is maybe, that's probably the worst name somebody could get, right? Skeet, especially in the Little John musical era. It's true. Oh, Skeet, Skeet. And that's a word for semen. <laughs> He's also a beautiful person, so I don't know if that worked for him or against him when he was growing up. He, he, he is a beautiful person. I've got to meet Skeet on, uh, I think, three separate occasions. Very friendly guy. Matthew Lillard as well. Yeah. Matthew Lillard. That guy's funny. Did you ever see SLC Punk? Uh, I know the movie you're talking about. That's where he's yeah. got green spiky hair, right? Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it. He's good in that. He's good in everything. He's good he's in everything. Even Scooby-Dooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot he was shaggy. So, you know, scream, teenagers get killed. It's got the lovely Nev Campbell, Matthew Lillard, Skeet Ulrich, David Arquette, who gets a lot of hate for some reason. I don't understand that. I'm on, I'm not on the David Arquette hate train. Do you like, have you met him? I have not met David Arquette, no. I haven't either. This is, and I don't know where my brain created this weird junction, but I get, like, for some reason, I, I maybe I became aware of David Arquette around the same time I became aware of Tom Green. But for some reason, I just kind of lumped them into the same body. Yeah, that's really weird because they're polar opposite, completely different people. It's true. It's true. I don't even know if David Arquette's Canadian. Probably not. David Arquette never, never married Drew Barrymore, who was that's, also in Scream. Yeah, weird. Weird. So maybe that's the connection. Drew Barrymore is the connection. Jamie Kennedy, I got to meet him, not a fan. Rose McGowan, she was in it, or as I call Rose, that girl that went down on Marilyn Manson a lot and whines nonstop on Twitter. Yeah, she whines a lot. She's a whiner, that Rose McGowan. Big whiner. Whether you're for or against her, I think we can all agree she whines a lot. My point is, uh, Scream was a hit. It was a mega hit. It was a super mega hit. It made $173 million worldwide at the box office and put Wes Craven back on the map. Yeah. People are going, well, Wes Craven's always been on the map, blah, 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 blah. I mean, <laughs> the year prior, he had Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy, right? You remember that one? No. Nope, super don't. Nah, nobody else does either. I actually <laughs> enjoyed it. It was uh, black. I don't, is it black exploitation? 
I don't know. Black. It was a black vampire. It was a black vampire movie. Comedy. Pretty good movie. Oh. I enjoyed it. But the year before that, in 1994, his Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, The New Nightmare, had flopped also. So he had two flops in two years. What would you attribute the the flops? This is a generalized question, but when a, when a, when a massive franchise flops, like like Nightmare on Elm Street with that, like what do you attribute it to? Because it's got the same trope as far as the same villain. Well, actually, it didn't. Oh. New Nightmare was a completely different reimagining of Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, it's it can't even be an argument. It's a fact. The killer in New Nightmare isn't even Freddy Krueger. It's a demon that is making itself look like Freddy Krueger. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was like, boy, I am so lost right now. I, yeah. I see what I see where you're going with that. So in the New Nightmare sequel. All the actors are playing themselves. So Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy in the original, she's playing Heather Langenkamp. Uh, Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger, he's playing Robert England. But in this meta world where Nightmare on Elm Street, the franchise, exists in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. A demon is has come into the world and is taking the form of Freddy Krueger. Oh, I see. Okay. So in this movie, it's supposed to take place in the real world where all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are just movies. I see. And then and it's sort of like a the, the it's like if uh the horror franchise and uh like real world MTV's real world had a baby. Yeah, I don't know what that means, sure. Um yep. absolutely. We'll just keep right we'll on, on trucking <laughs> and I'm just trying to meet your energy about movie knowledge because I lack that with my energy of terrible sort of like simula- uh, similarity. Okay, that's fair. When we get to coins, uh, that's, you can get that's where I point. shine. I shine there. Okay. Boy. I don't know why they flopped. I would imagine mm. it's because it wasn't really even Freddy Krueger in this movie. I don't know why Vampire in Brooklyn flopped. I'm a fan of any Eddie Murphy movie, honestly. Both of them were good flicks to me, but they did. And it put Wes Craven, you know, back in the good graces of Hollywood. I was 10 years old at the time when Scream hit. I remember how big it was. I'm sure you probably do too, Op. You were, I was 10 years old. You were probably, I don't, 33, 34, 96. <laughs> I'm trying to do the math here. 90, uh, 96? I was 20, 21. Oh. <laughs> remember how awesome going to the video store was back then? Just oh, yeah. Going up and down the aisles and judging VHS cases, trying to figure out if maybe that movie had boobs in it. That was me as a, <laughs> as a you know, 10-year-old, 11-year-old. I also remember the stress. You walking in and you know what you are in the mood for and the stress of going and finding out that it was. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Like, it was a lot of anxiety. You could literally not be able to watch the show you want to watch because yeah. it was out of stock. Oh, yeah. my gosh. What and a world. And there's something nice about that, endearing. Because you're forced into watching things that you wouldn't normally watch. That's true. I, you're right. I rarely would I have ever walked out with you know empty-handed. But the golden opportunity when you go up to the guy and you he knows you by name and you're like, any chance you have Buffy the Vampire Vampire Seven? And he's like, you know what? I got a copy right here. And you're like, yes. <laughs> you know. And you feel like a total like agent because you got the copy that just came in on that weird cart that's behind the counter where they haven't put them all back out yet. See, I had a special rela- – we didn't have a blockbuster in my mm. hometown. It was just a – we had a – for a while it was called Video Fantastic. <laughs> and then it was Movie Warehouse. And I had a relationship. I had a, I was friends with – even at 12 years old, 
I was like friends with one of the workers. He was a teenager in high school. He was probably like 16, right? And he'd let me know if the movie had boobs in it. Sweet. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is a good movie plus lots of titties. And I'd be like, <laughs> all right, I'll rent this one. Then I'd get in my grandma's car and she'd bring me home thinking I had, you know, Shrek. <laughs> Didn't even exist then. But yeah. And by the way, the worst horror movies back in those days always had the coolest covers. Yeah, beautiful covers. They they got they they deceived you with that yep. every time. Now, nowadays, you can't do that as as well. Even though Photoshop's pretty good, you can still tell a crappy movie from a good movie based no, on I the just, cover. I just miss the whole experience, the smell, the whole experience. I miss all that. But that's beside too. the point. That doesn't have anything really to do with today's episode. Here's uh, one more thing I want to add to that. There was a time where the only place and the only time. I was able to buy microwave popcorn was at the rental place. Like Blockbuster had Blockbuster brand microwave popcorn. You couldn't make it at your house? Well, I don't know if it just... Is that like a Mormon thing? <laughs> I, was hiding, I was hiding the boob VHS. You're trying to snuggle popcorn in? <laughs> no, it was just like a... Thing of convenience, I guess. You know, you you didn't buy it at the grocery store because you knew you were going to rent a movie that week. So you just buy some when you got up to the stick. Because the whole front of the countertop was just these wire racks, just and, and it was full of microwave popcorn, single bags too, not even in a box. Did you make it there? You probably could have, but no, they didn't. I made it at home. I had a microwave. Well, I didn't <laughs> I'm not, know if you guys I'm not a cave woman. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do things <laughs> over there. You just, uh, it's like, you know, it's like the old, you know, stick to make fire. If you just rub them, you know, if you're like this with the microwave bang of popcorn fast enough against your, you know, against your car hearts, it'll pop. So anyways, Scream was a huge hit. I'm sure you remember that. 96, you're 44, whatever. Those, there were T-shirts, there were Ghostface posters, there were Ghostface action figures, plush dolls. Hell, you could probably buy condoms with little Ghostface masks on the end of them in 96. You know what makes me really mad about this is, like, I can wax wistful about this period of time, but I, I have to admit, I, I'm going to make the my experience even worse. Guess where I was in 1996? Where? I was on a mission in Alabama. <laughs> So, for those wondering what he means by that, he wasn't in the military. No, I and I wasn't an operation. I wasn't a town full of terrorists in Alabama. I wasn't a secret spy on a mission either. No, his was. uniform was a a button up white shirt with a tie, and his tactical vehicle was a fucking huffy. <laughs> he was oh, passing man. out pamphlets, not bullets. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing though: whoever answered that door would have rather had a bullet. You're not kidding. <laughs> there was nothing worse than knocking doors in Alabama because you never knew if there was like they they love their football, love yeah, their. And football. on top of that, your hand on Hamlets can't read. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we got lin almost lynched so often. Ugh, all the memories. Oh yeah, did you? Was your partner black? No, we were just Mormon. <laughs> That'll, that'll do it. You don't, need, you don't need to change your skin color. Just become Mormon. Suddenly. Suddenly, that's okay. 
Oh, man. Memories. On a mission as a Mormon. <laughs> you know, it's kind of scary that even the Mormons refer to it as a mission. <laughs> that sounds militaristic. Oh, anytime, I, when I was in the military, anytime we referred to something as a mission, lives were at stake. <laughs> well, I guess it was possible innocent people could be harmed. <laughs> well, a lot of people would say that, you know, that, that we're harming people when we're knocking on their doors. <laughs> so, you know, apples, potatoes, it's all, it's all missions. <laughs> Anyways, back to Scream, which is <laughs> probably what you brought a lot of. Nev Campbell, she was turned into a female heartthrob, and I don't know if that's... Did we call female actresses that are overly sexualized by the media heartthrobs? Was that just a guy thing? Jonathan Taylor no. Thomas, Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr., they were heartthrobs. What do we call females that are also... that guys cranked it out to? Young boys. I think, actually, heartthrob is still uncancelable. I think you can call anybody a heartthrob, and it's all right. Okay, that's, well, that's cool. So we're not even going to get canceled. No, that's good. I, I do remember my brother, Lynn. I don't think I've ever talked about him. My brother, Lynn, was all about Neff Campbell. I, I don't mm. know where, why I remember that so vividly. I would be talking about Sting and WCW and Lex Luger. He'd be talking about, you know, what about Nev? Let's watch Scream again. So I'm guessing that the dude probably had, like, close to a coronary when he found out that you were in her hotel room. Well, I mean, this was 96, so... Oh. He got know, over, gotten over 28 it. 28 years ago. Yeah, he's gotten over that. Okay. But uh, I really wish I hadn't told the hotel room Neff Campbell story. Because I bring it up so often. That would have been so perfect for this one. Oh, it would have. Yeah. Well, I can go back and edit all of the episodes where we have. <laughs> where it ever came up. We can't even get a 911 calls out on time. Are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> okay, yeah. I probably won't go and do that. <laughs> nope. Good idea. Bad idea. Today, Op, we're going to cover a case where two zit-faced fucking nerds took their love of horror movies too far, and their crime was inspired by one horror movie in particular, and you probably, judging by our conversation, already guessed that movie, Flubber, starring Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Scream. Scream, not Flubber. That was a happy movie. I no. thought for a moment we were kindred spirits and we were going to be able to talk about our spiritual concerns about the movie Flubber and really what its intrinsic meaning was to society. But no. Okay, we're back to Scream. All right. Uh, we're not well, going back to 96 for this crime, though. We're going back to 2006. Yeah, think about that. These two dorks committed a horrific crime that was inspired by a horror movie that came out 10 years prior. Now, that's about as uncool as it gets. Let's put that in perspective. Say someone did murder today and then claimed it was inspired by the 2012 film Sinister. <laughs> That's not cool. You'd be like, whoa, what a loser. And That's my point. Don't do horror-inspired crimes unless the movie is new or really, really old. Do you remember, what were, what were the Columbine killers? What were they influenced by? Doom. What did they say? That's Doom. what the media tried to say. Now, the Scream reference here is directly admitted to by the killers themselves. The okay. media tried to put the blame of the Columbine shooting, which I, we're actually going to talk a little bit on oh. this episode. One of the one of the killers in this is super into Columbine, was. Uh, but they tried to blame Marilyn Manson and the, and the game Doom. Okay. Can you imagine if Columbine had never happened and you heard somebody today say that yeah, this killer was super into Columbine, you'd be like, he was into a high school? That's so weird. 
Anyway, just thoughts I have. Well, these killers are both in high school. Oh, okay. Maybe both yeah, of them so are high schoolers. That they picked a random high school out of Colorado to be really into is weird. Had history, never done with history. Never mind. I don't know. I'm 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 drinking a new juice drink, and it seems to be really messing with my mental capacity right now. Your skin is just glowing, though. Thank you. Yeah, I feel less oily in my T zone too. It's you know, for a sixty year old, you look great. <laughs> But like I said, let's think about it. They chose a movie that's 10 years old, doing crimes inspired by movies. Not only cool if you go with a vintage horror movie or a brand new one. 10 years, that's just in the spot where you're just a douche. So yeah. think about it. This is 2006 when this crime happens. They had movies. They had such great movies to choose from. Pan's Labyrinth came out in 2006. One of the best Guillermo del Toro movies ever. So Did you ever good. see Pan's Labyrinth? Oh, I, I, I love that movie. So love good. It. I'm a big del Toro fan. But Pan's Labyrinth is probably, I don't know, maybe Devil's Backbone. Pan's Labyrinth is probably my favorite. I was going to say Devil's Backbone's right there, too. And if you've never watched any of these and you are of the ilk that you can't get through movies that aren't in English, these yeah, will change Spanish. your mind. These will change your mind. He's, yep. the, he's the king of horror. Del Toro yep. is. He really is. Did, did, you like it? did you like his uh, Hellboys? Oh, no. I mean, I like Del Toro doing horror. Okay. All right. We'll leave it at that. Doing horror, and even though The Shape of Water, that wasn't necessarily horror, but it had horror elements to it. I loved The Shape of Water as well. I never watched it. It was really I, good. I, I didn't know what I was getting into with that one, so I didn't. A lot of boobs. Oh, really? Okay. I'm going to go watch it. If I had held that up at the video store, the guy would have gave me the nod of approval and a little, like, thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Uh, 2006, like I said, Pan's Labyrinth comes out. Also, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Fucking amazing movie. Um, you're, you're, spit, you're spitting new wisdom to me. I need to, Behind the Mask. I got to write that down. So, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon is a super original, interesting movie and a different take on slasher films in general because what they're doing is following... It's a documentary crew following a wannabe murderer, serial killer around, and he's wanting to make a name for himself as a serial killer. So it's looking at the entire movie is from the killer's point of view with him talking about why he's doing what he's doing, how you uh, the the tropes of horror movies. It's a very oh. self-aware, interesting, almost comic hor comedy horror. Really? OK. Let's check that out. You also had Silent Hill come out in 2006, a movie based on a game, and a movie that, in my opinion, was done very well, considering movies that are based on games are usually terrible, i.e. Resident Evil. Yes, I agree. And then, obviously, the biggest one, probably a 2006 horror movie-wise, aside from Pan's Labyrinth, the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. These were all great movies. These All, all these movies came out in 2006. They had so many to choose from. They went with Scream. Which was a decade old. <laughs> yeah. Now, we're going to Pocatello, Idaho op. What would normally be around your stomping ground, because this is a typical American small town, small population, it is conservative, and it is Mormon. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, so. A lot of bicycles, a lot of white shirts, pamphlets blowing up the street like tumbleweeds. A lot of hair buns. Hair buns, denim dresses, homemade clothing. <laughs> you know, there's American flags in the front yard. There's a lot of 
Toby, Toby Keith blaring from F-150s. <laughs> George Bush is president. People fucking love that shit. They're stoked about it. As far as what? they're concerned, Toby Keith and George Bush, they both shit American Eagles and wipe their asses with turbans of the Taliban. <laughs> this is just five years after 9-11, by the way. Toby Keith is riding that cash train from the patriotic, the, that patriotic cash train. He was like this poster child for Ford back then. Well, put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Uncle Sam, put your name. <laughs> so cringy. Looking What's back really? now, it's so... What's really funny is if you go to Pocatello and you, you, you'll you find pockets where if you're just man on the street questions and you ask people, you're like, who's president of the United States? They would say, Bush. <laughs> Today, they would still say that. Yeah. still In a denim no. dress. Yeah. Standing yeah. In, a, in a denim dress. No, it's it's actually quite a progressive. It's not. I, I, it's a small town, you know. It's quaint and and uh, it's got it's a very own. small, quaint, conservative American town. Good place to raise it a is. family. Yeah. It's any town USA, as long as they're not gay, right? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been there? It sounds like you've been there. <laughs> you know they got stuff there like food trucks. You can get overpriced bland tacos, art walks. Just a very Mormon community. Y'all right off. <laughs> How does anyone ever join my religion? How? How does it ever happen? Like, <laughs> uh, so, like, what's the selling point? Seriously, it's like <laughs> bicycles. People love bicycles. <laughs> what part? Like, where are you? Where are you at in life? Where, like, on the outside looking in, I'm looking at them. Like, where? Where are you in life? Where? Like, this sounds awesome. <laughs> you had me at denim dresses. Those ankle-long <laughs> denim dresses, they just get me rock hard. <laughs> oh, man. I love denim. Just long denim just hides the figure real well. <laughs> Fucking hate being able to see knees. Every time I see a knee in my head, I just go, whore. It's a lot like, have you seen those toys that you could get that all the kids love, the like LOL surprise or something where it's like, there's like a tiny, tiny plastic figurine wrapped in like 8,000 layers of macrame paper mache. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what it's like, you know, getting intimate in, in my religion. It's just like a whole peeling process. It's like, what am I going to say? And there's a big fat ass. Those LOL dolls, big fat asses. Same thing with those denim dresses, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's what you, you know, you, you can only eat so many, so many, you know, funeral potatoes before you start filling out that dress. So many bland uh, casseroles, <laughs> Jello salads. Starts starts working. So we're in Pocatello, Idaho. Our two killers, uh, they're not killing yet, but their names are Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick, and they met sophomore year. Just six weeks, actually, before the murder at Pocatello High School took place. The murder wasn't at Pocatello High School, but they met at Pocatello High School. Okay. Now, Brian Draper, he was adopted as a baby by his Mormon parents, Pam and Carrie Draper. Ironically enough, though, he did look a lot like Matthew Lillard. Oh. Like, if they were going to make a movie about this... They would cast Matthew Lillard to play Brian Draper. That's how much he looked like him. If you took Matthew Lillard and dyed his hair black, it's basically Brian Draper. Uh, wow. He's tall and lanky, 
got those wide set bug eyes, sunken cheeks, but kind of like Ren from Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah. love Matthew Lillard. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. But unique looking. Maybe we get him to make the movie. Chicks love Matthew Lillard, too, which is interesting to me. They they go crazy over Matthew. He's got a good personality. He's, you know. He does. Ma- he really very does. Mag- magnetic. Now, Brian, he, he he had a really bad stutter growing up, and it, he got picked on for it. Uh, but through speech therapy, he was able to rid himself of it. And at this point in time, he speaks completely normal with no stutter whatsoever. So you would never know. And that's important to note here that there was, when he was very young, a very bad stutter. But he hadn't had a problem with it in years. Okay. Now, according to everyone that knew Brian Draper, he appeared to be a happy, healthy teenage boy. He was outgoing. He played soccer. He had friends. In one of his videos, he filmed at school, and there were many. He filmed a lot. A young man in a football jersey comes up and hangs out with Brian for a few moments. You could tell they are friends. So he's not like the social outcast that he will later try to paint himself to be. Like I said, Brian Draper was always filming everything. He always had a camera on him, loved filmmaking, loved movies. Now, Tori Adamchick, the second of the two, was the quieter of the two. He was uh, more, I would call, socially awkward. He had shaggy brown hair. Skinny and soft-bodied. He had pimples. He had an irritating voice. I hate this kid's voice so much. I would rather listen to an audio tape of my great-great-grandparents having anal sex than listen to this kid talking. Uh, (laughs) This is probably the kid that you would see in high school when you were in high school up in, I don't know, 73, 74. (laughs) Probably the kid you would have seen. (laughs) Probably the kid you would have seen eating by himself in high school, but also at the same time, not really caring that he was alone because he would likely just condescendingly pick on anybody that sat in his vicinity anyway. Like the edgy kid, you know, thinks he's hyper intelligent, better than everybody. I see him being less of a victim of bullying and more probably a a bully himself. Okay. Until the bully part, I thought maybe you were doing a bit and you were like talking about me in high school. (laughs) Oof. You sat alone and ate? Your mm. mashed potatoes. <laughs> I don't know. I think that in my head, that's what Mormons eat. I don't. I don't know that no I salt. sat. No, I didn't sit alone. Uh, like I didn't need. I don't know. I didn't need anybody. Like I didn't like get my lunch and go. Where's my crew? You know. Um, I didn't yeah, either. I, I was friends with everybody. I didn't have like a clique. Yeah, I didn't really make fun of people either. Though I, I was, I was pretty respectful. As I recall, please reach out to me if you know my actual name and where I went to high school and you feel like I did you wrong in high school. And you want a friend. (laughs) You want a friend now. Somebody eat mashed potatoes with. He has some pamphlets he would like to show you. (laughs) Got a book or two you can read. (laughs) Tori, he drives a red 1994 Geo Prism. Yeah, that thing had 105 horsepower straight off the lot (laughs) when it was 100% stock op. The rip, the whip, the whip of a real murderous badass. Remember that scene in Mad Max Fury Road when Tom Hardy escapes the crazies in that souped-up Geo Prism? That was my favorite. <laughs> Love the Geo Prism. <laughs> car and Trader uh. calls it the car of muscle heads. <laughs> it's got to be a lie. Yeah, fun fact. Tori's red geoprism was red because of all the vaginas that flew out of the air and smacked up against it, against his wheel. It was just pussy smudges all over. It was originally like yellow or something. Wow. 
Well, these days, a car that gets 32 miles to the gallon actually make you wet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I, but, I mean, you, you pair the fact that he had a 1994 Geo yeah. Prism, the pimples, the high, annoying voice, the pretentiousness of him. Uh, I bet he was rolling in it. But he was wet 24-7. Whether he wanted it or not. Oh, man. Tori's father, Tori's parents, their names were. So Tori Adamchick, the owner of this Geo Prism. His parents, Sean Adamchick and his mother, Shannon Adamchick. Uh, He had an older sister named Lacey, and the family had dinner together every night. And Lacey, his sister, took him to school every morning. He was considered a little angel by his parents and still is to this day, despite the horrible crime he committed. And I would guess... I didn't read this anywhere. I didn't find it in a newspaper or anything. But me trying to piece together just what I've heard about Tory and his family, that a typical Tuesday afternoon for Tory Adamchick probably consisted of getting home from school, watching Family Guy, which was his favorite show. I never understood that. Never was a very big fan of Family Guy. It was like always the same shtick. It was like, hey, you remember that time? And then a flashback to something that, you know, like, this is like that time Drew Carey... Uh, was shaped like an anvil and <laughs> killed a beaver. And then it's like, oh, yeah, this is a funny animation of Drew Carey shaped as an anvil killing a beaver. <laughs> that was like all family guys. <laughs> uh, so he's he probably gets home from school. He watches Family Guy. Maybe goes up to his room. He plays Guitar Hero 2. That was like the number one game in 2006. Or something on his PlayStation until dinner time where the family all gets together and eats a bland, spiceless dinner because they're more in... And t- together, and do you guys use spices? Yeah, yeah, like, like salt man- and water. No, yeah, we spice things up with mayonnaise. They're like this. This turkey has a little too much water on it. <laughs> it's burning my mouth. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Miracle Whip's pretty zesty. <laughs> so, oh goodness, this this could use a little bit more water. I like my Uh. mashed potatoes watery. (laughs) (laughs) So they eat a bland, spiceless dinner together. They talk about their day, that typical, you know, that scene in all the movies. So how was your day, son, while they're picking that chicken? (laughs) And then Tori, he retreats to his room where, like I said, um, he probably turns on Radiohead (laughs) and then lays in bed while staring at the ceiling and masturbating. Did you find my journal or something? I'm trying to figure this out. It's like... (laughs) Eating alone in high school, playing, listening to Radiohead. <laughs> I, I guarantee you that Radiohead was a big staple in both these kids' lives, especially if, when you get we get into them here in a little bit. Okay. So anyways, Tori and Brian, they quickly become best friends. They spend much of their time together. Brian, the kind of outgoing, extroverted one. Tori, the introverted, pretentious one, thinks he's better than everybody else. Um, they both love movies, though, and that's kind of what they bond on, specifically horror movies. And they both have a passion for filmmaking. So this is kind of the glue that holds them together in the beginning, is this love for movies. They wanted to write their own horror movie, and they had plans on it. They weren't friends long before this horrible crime happened, but they were planning on making their own horror movie. It was one of those things that they always talked about doing, according to other people, but never actually started doing. But, you know, obviously, these two both had dark sides to the personality, and they kind of, like, seemed to feed off each other like a self-powered engine. Like when you get me and Jack together in the same room and neither of us want to murder anybody, but instead we see how dark the jokes can get. They yeah. start out with a lighthearted dick joke, and before long we're joking about killing infants. 
I've noticed. I've I have noticed that. Yes. It's like that. Brian Draper, he's he was obsessed with the Columbine school shooting, which we've already touched on Columbine. He admired Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, the two uh, dipshits that committed the Columbine shooting. And much like them, he felt like an outcast. And he identified with them because at that time, if you remember after Columbine, that was the narrative of those two. They were outcasts. Turns out that wasn't the case. And I'm sure you're aware of this up. They were just assholes, not outcasts. <laughs> and I feel like with the asshole thing, I feel like they really cemented it with the whole shooting the school up. Yeah, that part. That was a clincher. Nothing more douchey Jeez. than I, I say than shooting a school up. <laughs> yep. I agree. I agree. Statistically speaking, I agree. The douche move. <laughs> shooting a school up. Don't do it. <laughs> I just want to let that simmer so for a minute. <laughs> just in case we have listeners who are like. I just want to say that I think if you're like, I want to shoot up a school, I'm you're a douchebag. Yeah. We don't need you around here. Stop listening right now. Yeah, I don't want you as a listener if you're going to shoot up a school. Yep. Watch our listenership goes from nine. You got to take a stand somewhere. Our listenership goes from nine to three. We're we like, want listeners. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, we want listeners, but I don't want school shooters listening. Do you know a school shooter? I feel like you're really pressing this I issue. I like, wanna, like, like you really, have a so like I, like you have a friend. Here's, here's the you thing. know he listens, and he's like, "I'm going to shoot a school," and you're like, "I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. Try to turn this guy around." Here, here's the thing. I, I listened to another podcast that did an episode on on these two, uh, Tori Adam Chick and Brian Draper, and uh, I won't say the name of the podcast. It was morbid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They really want the listeners to know that they're uh, staunchly against these murderers. <laughs> like, to the point where it's distracting from the podcast. You know. So I just want to say, just following in their footsteps, I don't agree with school shooters. I think, I think there they're are douchebags. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, things that are campaigned these days where, like, everybody's on the line in the sand. Yeah. And I don't want school shooters listening to this podcast. Okay. Apparently, I don't think you want the morbid people listening to this podcast either. <laughs> the hosts of that show are never listening to this again. I wonder if they... Ah, despite his love for Eric Harris and Dylan... So, like I said, Brian Draper, obsessed with the Columbine shooting... And despite his love for Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, though, like I said, Brian Draper, not an outsider. He had friends. Uh, no excuse for what he's about to do. Uh, it wouldn't even be an excuse if he was an outsider. But no excuse. Now, Brian Draper also in, super into computers. Huh? Starting to sound like somebody. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mormon into computers. Radiohead. Only difference is he's not 60. <laughs> Brian, Brian Draper, he runs a website, and it all that was, it was a website that contained material on the heavy metal band Slipknot, probably to the uh. surprise of nobody just talking about this dude so far. And also, it was his place where he would do reviews of energy drinks. 
That's not a joke. I never reviewed energy drinks. One of my favorite drummers is Joey, Joey Jordison, though. So. I'm so glad you brought him up. Oh, I'm so glad that that came up naturally. No, I'm really? I'm so excited right now. <laughs> Let's put that on the table for just a minute. <laughs> okay. Dang it. Um, on this website, he, put, he also put his personal beliefs, and they were, quote, My name is Brian Draper. I am a 16-year-old sophomore at Pocatello High School. I am a very independent and opinionated person. I consider myself an atheist and an anarchist. Oof. Unquote. So, you know, this kid from the outside looking in, he's in that angsty, rebellious kind of stage. Comes from this very, you know, conservative Mormon family where you're questioning everything that your parents are telling you and trying to... Uh, from the outside looking in, this is just confusion. The reason I say that is because later... Um, they would try to say that the school is partly to blame for not picking up on what was about to happen, but I don't think there was any way to do that. I'll tell you what, being inside of the religion where he's currently a teenager, this is so not uncommon. Every teenager doesn't know where they belong, and they all question what their parents— and to put that on a school, oh, gosh, they need the, the school needs to be able to, to address every single child's— inability to feel like they belong i mean no kid feels like in they my belong. school that was over i don't know what about you in my school that was over 11 students oh my gosh yeah easily over like, probably 12 and this but i would imagine in this school couple hundred couple hundred easy hundred you hundred, can't hundred, look at all of them with a fine with a magnifying glass it's just not realistic and as horrible as bullying is i get it you don't want your kid to get bullied I don't want my kids to ever get bullied, but when when parents like storm the school and they're like, "I demand this," what do you want them to do? That they can realistically, what can they do? If you took a poll, like, let me just ask you: Did, did you feel like you you were all that in high school? Did you feel like you were no, fully self confident? No, I wasn't all that. I wasn't. I wasn't like the bottom feeder. I wasn't the top feeder. I just felt like a normal kid. I, I didn't get picked on. Um, I, I just felt like. I feel like like probably just unseen more than anything. Like Yeah. I think that's a common thread. Like every kid feels unseen. Even the popular kids. Like if you talk to them now, they probably have something they'll they'd cry about. They'd be like, Yeah, no, uh yeah, everybody thought I was popular, but this is what I was dealing with. It's the age. It's the way our brains are wired. It's the chemicals that are rushing through our body. Nobody nobody feels like like they belong completely when you're that age. Yeah, this is all normal stuff so yeah. far. From so the outside far. looking in, normal stuff. Yes, yeah, so far. Uh, the responsibility for what is about to happen falls on nobody but Brian Draper and Tori Adamchick. But, and, and, you know, that, that comes in. I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but there was a big thing that, that there was uh, lawsuits filed against the school. Well, how about, if anybody, the parents? If anybody, the parents. Especially the parents of Tori Adamchick, which I will go into after at the end. Uh, I've got some strong words to say about them, but we'll put we'll table that for now. Now, Tori Adamchick, he was more into the horror movies of the two, more into horror movies than than uh, Brian Draper was. I and mean, one home video that Draper was shooting, um, the inside of his locker, he opens it, and the inside of his locker is covered in small little horror movie posters. What they were, it looked like, was the sleeves from the inside of DVDs. Oh, okay. About. Yeah. There was movies. Friday the 13th was on there. Scream obviously was on there. Stuart Little 2. Terrible uh, scary movie. <laughs> Stuart Little 2 was on it. My favorite Michael J. Fox movie. 
The best say, Michael J. Fox movie is the movie where Michael J. Fox is not in it. <laughs> I, what are you talking about? Back to the Future? Teen Wolf? Just kidding. If you ask anybody, it's like Michael J. Fox's movies. I would go Stuart Little 2, Back to the Future, Stuart Little 1. Family ties. That's what most people would say. Anyway, sometime in August of 2006, just weeks after their friendship had formed, Brian and Tori's friendship, uh, uh, the conversation of murder comes up. Now, they both ended up confessing to each other how they wanted to see what it felt like to kill somebody, and they both wanted fame and notoriety. Uh, that was one of the things that Brian loved about Columbine, like I said, was it had made Dylan and Eric shitty celebrities in their own way. Tori just wanted to hurt people more than anything. Tori was more of the two uh, watching all these interactions. There's so much videotape out there. You can find it on YouTube. Tori seems to me like the more uh, sociopathic of, of the two. Mm. It seems like uh, of the two, the, the power dynamic is super strange between the two of them because even though Brian is the talkative, outspoken one, in the videos, he's always looking to Tori for, like, confirmation. Mm, I see. It's an interesting dynamic. It huh. is very interesting watching it uh, happen on video, knowing what you know now. Brian will say something and then look at Tori as if almost like a like a battered wife in public would respond to questioning when talking around her husband. Yeah. Yes. You know? Caut- cautious and looking for confirmation or Yeah, approval. that kind of thing. Yeah. Sure. Uh, always trying to please... Tory, it seems like Brian was. And by the way, I'm in no means saying that one is shittier than the other. They're both shitheads. Fuck both <laughs> these guys, obviously. But the power dynamic, it seems like kind of Brian or Tory kind of led from the back quietly. But when they have this conversation, that's when the seed begins to grow. And joking conversation turns to serious conversation, and serious conversation turns to planning. And to be a fly on the wall to witness this would be something interesting from a psychology point of view. Like, at what yeah. point is there a click where they're like, huh, are we going to do this? Yeah, it's interesting when you think about the planning phase. And it's funny, not funny, but it seems like every school shooting involves lined paper, like like college-ruled paper. Like, the plan always gets written down on pieces of note paper from... It's funny you say that. <laughs> uh, uh, let's table that as well. Okay, so For now, crap. we've tabled... <laughs> Joey Jordanson's mask, who you were a huge fan of, loves Slipknot. <laughs> Everybody knows that about Op. But primarily, he loves jo- Joey Jordanson. And uh, he, he likes line, or he's mentioned line paper, but Op also loves probably The Cure, honestly, <laughs> as well as Radiohead <laughs> and computers. <laughs> Shoot. And one thing that I honestly. Didn't expect in this episode, one thing that you can't plan is op identifying with one of the killers. Like <laughs> hardcore. Just so everybody's aware, I don't read these scripts ahead of time. I'm literally following along with you. <laughs> oh, oh so you know, when they're planning their murders, Brian, he wanted their crime to be more like Columbine. Brian's thinking more one big one. You know, one big one and then we're out like a host. Like a heist movie, like oh, you get one big hit, and then that's it. Uh, he's wanting he's wanting a lot of people die quickly in one in one setting. He's thinking more along the lines of a school shooter. As Tori Adam chick, he wanted the more scream approach. He wanted a lot of kills over a period of time, one by onesies. I can see him like 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 Tori wants the like random, you know, random death in the chemistry 
com- chemistry lab during school, and then another one mysteriously happens at the football game two nights later, and then another one happens at the prom two nights later. That is exactly yeah. what he wanted. Okay. That is exactly. He wants it to be like Scream. He wants these murders. He wants the targets to be pre-planned, pre-picked. They have to look a certain way, and everything has to be like a movie in his head. They want to they make a, a, a real-life version of Scream. That's yeah. what now they both wanted fame. They just didn't care how they got it. And one point in one of the videos they even talk about how they wanted the people that play them in this movie that's inevitably going to be made about their crimes. They wanted those people to look like them. These people, these two dipshits are not living in reality. At yeah. All. No. So after much deliberation, because like I said, Tori is kind of the the leader of the group. He wore the pants in the relationship. The scream approach was ultimately decided on. So they're not going to do one big school shooting like Klebold and Harris. They're going to do a, they're going to, they want to be serial killers over a long period of time. And like I said, Tori wore the pants in relationship. Brian just did all the talking, kind of like John Lennon and Yoko Ono. You know, one thing I'll say, just hearkening back to what he said about being an atheist and an anarchist, like in a small town like that, when you think you're an anarchist, what that means is that there's just a lot of like park garbage cans tipped over. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like literally. That's and, about and they all. Spray that paint that S on it, where it's got the three <laughs> lines, and then another three lines, and then you connect the lines. They're like, we should take this from a lined paper that we drew, and let's spray paint it on stuff. Yeah, fuck capitalism. <laughs> yeah. So they're gonna go the scream approach. You know, with that being said, they're gonna do this. They have to pick their first target, and the first target has to be perfect. And for the both of them. Unfortunately, that was a fairly easy task. That's where we get to our victim here, Cassie Jo Stoddard. Now, Cassie Op, she was an intelligent, beautiful, kind, strong-willed 16-year-old girl. Seriously beautiful, too. I know that in every podcast and every show that's about murder, that's what they say, right? No matter what, the victim is beautiful. And sometimes you see pictures of these people and it looks like their mother probably had to feed them with a slingshot. Well, and and I'm going to Google her right now because you've said some people are beautiful on this show, like uh, uh, Russians that you get buried in the snow. You better not talk about my Russian lady from Diallo's Pass, because that Kilma Garovo, I think, was her name. She was a dime. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you're not, okay. yeah, she's cute. You're right. Cassie jo, Cassie, I would say Cassie beautiful. Jo. That's yeah. the word I would use to describe Cassie Jo Stoddard. She's cute. I can see 16-year-old Kent being very interested in her if she asked me to go on a date. Yeah. I can see Kent, and being I can interested see forty-five-year-old well. Op being interested if sixteen-year-old Cassie asked him to go on a date. <laughs> I'd be like, "Let me finish these mashed potatoes first, please." Can you put your phone number down on this lined ruled paper that I have? Here's a pamphlet, by the way. <laughs> we better date soon. I'm about to go on a mission. <laughs> also, what are you doing here? I'm twenty-four. <laughs> You're thirteen. Weird. So, uh, you know, she's beautiful. Like I said, this case, it's true. She had a big, pretty, infectious smile, as you can see in the picture that I'm sure you're looking at there. Dimples. Bright eyes. Yeah, pretty dimples. The whole package. We'll also later find out in this story, she was also a brave little badass. She was born December 21st, 1989 in Pocatello there. She was a straight-A student. Uh, She was a junior there at Pocatello High School. Loved music, loved drawing, and she wanted to be an attorney after she got out of college. She was a hardworking, sweet, determined, and accepting young girl. Uh, She played soccer, and I found out that as a young girl, she was shy and introverted, but she had recently came out of her shell when she got to high school, had tons of friends, very popular, 
just an all-American, young American girl. Having two young daughters, it, it's so weird. If I didn't have two young daughters, it'd be like, bull ring. But having two young daughters, I'm like, that's the brass ring. That's what you hope for for your kids is, you know, that they kind of end up being like Cassie. Yeah. Level-headed. I guess if I use three words to describe her, I would say level-headed. And let's count that as one word because that's already two words. It's hyphenated. Le- so Level-headed, intelligent, and responsible. Okay. That's how yeah. I, would, I would describe her. She was the middle child of three. Um, she had a younger brother named Andrew, who was a year younger than her, and she had an older sister named Kristen. And growing up, they alternated between her grandparents' house and her mother and stepdad's house. Not from a broken home or anything. Her biological father wasn't in the picture. But they just kind of flip-flopped back and forth between moms and grandparents. I did the same thing growing up. I was at my grandparents' a lot. You know what? I think it's a small town thing. Everybody kind of lives close and, you know, it takes a small family village to raise kids and and everybody's kind of enlisted. Uh, You know, I know a lot of kids right now where they they hang at their grandparents' house and grandparents are the ones that truck them to baseball practice and soccer practice and pay for their soccer shields or whatever they're using in the sports games. Shields? I don't know. I don't know what they use. What the fuck does soccer look like in Mormon communities? <laughs> very, very. Are you all on bicycles? That's called jousting. In- very intense. Lots of steel. Lots of cotton and wool. Lots of hairline fractures in the neck. <laughs> but but it, the applause makes up for it. So you know, there's one Mormon sitting up top in a chair that does the thumb, the thumb up and up down. And- yeah, you know. Oh, wow. You've been to one. Uh, I love Yop. I, I know. And fortunately, I love me enough that I, that we can talk like this. I love Op and I love the Mormons. I just want to say that. I'm going to poke fun at them a lot this episode. Because you know there's Why some... are you all so damn friendly? <laughs> Fuck uh, off. <laughs> Oh, because we want you to be part of our gang. <laughs> That's why. That's it. There's an now, angle. <clears throat> I'd say any 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 people that have a baseline belief system that gives them a look into like how things go, you know, whether that's future or what they perceive as how things end up. I don't know. I think it gives you a little bit of an element of peace, and it gives you something to look at when you're looking at how things are going in the world. I'm not saying, like, you know, we see the book of Revelations unfolding before us. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know. Not on a recording. (laughs) Definitely not. Definitely not on a place where I could be reviewed. (laughs) No, sir. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, you know, from me up. As somebody who doesn't know what they believe, I don't know what I believe in religious-wise. I respect the fact that you're a Mormon. I'm glad we have you. Thanks. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, her 15-year-old brother, Andrew, her 15-year-old younger brother named Andrew looked up to her a lot, considered her his role model and his best friend. They confided in each other. He told her everything. She told him everything. Uh, According to him, she was the best big sister that he could have. In April of 2006... So five months before the murder, she begins dating a guy by the name of Matt Beckham. Now, Matt, like I said, Cassie, all-American, good-grade girl. She's mm-hmm. dating Matt Beckham, who is pretty much the uh, the same version of that, just as a young man. 
typical American teenager. He likes sports, liked goofing off, hanging with his friends. Very likable, according to everybody. And like I said, they've been dating for five months at this point. Matt, according to everybody, treated Cassie well, and also her parents liked him a lot. That's Another hard to do. To say about Matthew, yeah, to have the parents accept you, this he's doing something right. And yeah. that brings us back to our two shitheads, uh, the two dipshits of the hour, Tori Adam Chick and Brian Draper. By the way, up both had crushes on Cassie. Oh wow, they they both liked Cassie. Rut row, and I think this is because she was polite and friendly to them. She treated them well. Why wouldn't she? You know, she's a good person. Like I said, I would imagine both of them spent many a night listening to Creep in their room and drawing pictures of Cassie on computer paper, especially Tori. Just like, I'm a creep. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. You knew how many times I've seen her upper lip like fucking Napoleon Dynamite. I don't care if it hurts. Which actually was filmed in a town that's not too far away from where this is all taking place. I love that movie so much. I love that movie so much. Just watched it the other day. People that hate it, they say it doesn't have a plot. Exactly, that's the point. Four days ago now, I count them, and this is is complete truth. Four days ago, my daughters are sitting at the counter, ages four and seven, and the seven-year-old, Mona, she says something, blah, blah, blah. Something about college. And my four-year-old goes, your mom goes to college. <laughs> it was a very you know, proud. It's like that, though. It's Kip that says it. You go, your mom your goes mom, to college. Your mom goes to college. And then he does that. Laughs at himself. It was a proud parent moment. Your mom goes to college. Your mom goes, we've been dating for about three weeks now, so I guess you could say things are getting pretty serious. Pretty serious. I love technology. No, Napoleon, not just you're just jealous because I've been talking to hot babes online all day. All day. <laughs> oh, kid. I wonder what Kip's doing now. I can tell you what Kip's doing. He's out of movies. He's out of movies? He doesn't do movies anymore, yeah. Yeah. They actually... I'm not going to go do a deep dive on Napoleon Dynamite in this episode. But yeah, he doesn't do movies anymore. By the way... <laughs> I challenge you to watch Napoleon Dynamite and try to pinpoint what year that movie was supposed to take place in. Oh, gosh. Is it supposed to happen in 1980 or 2001? It's hard to say. They, they, they erased a lot. There's, there's not a lot of, like, defining. Like, there aren't geometros in the movie or anything like that. It's just very. I think that's intentional. Yeah, very neutral. Also. Another small town thing. It can be kind of hard to date. Like, if I walked downtown my town and took pictures, you probably wouldn't know if it was 1974 or 2004 or 2024. Got a bunch of Mormons on their Blackberries. (laughs) (laughs) They're secure. Shut up. (laughs) One's on a horse, though. It would be like a Napoleon Dynamite movie. You're not kidding. We're at the park the other day. My kids are playing on all the very, very scary metal equipment. There's a slide that is like at a 30 degree pitch. Uh, definitely going to break your both your shins. Vote for Reagan sticker on it. <laughs> <laughs> and the the vote for Mondale sticker was scratched out. But then it, all of a sudden this lady, this girl, like 13 years old, clippity clap, clippity clap, clippity clap, comes walking right through the park with some Appaloosa she's riding. A David Duke t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
because that's edgy in conservatism. If you're wearing a David Duke shirt, you're like, what are you saying? I'm like, I don't know. What am I saying? <laughs> you're saying one thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Tori's listening to Radiohead <laughs> Creep. I want a perfect soul. <laughs> they both had crushes on Cassie. Uh, she treated them well. I think they thought much more of Cassie than she thought of them. Mm. She meant everything to them. They meant nothing to her, but she would never make somebody. I don't think Cassie would ever intentionally make somebody feel small. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. And you're like, well, how can you get that out of? I've listened to uh, probably about six hours of interrogation tapes of people talking about Cassie, as well as there's some uh, videotape that um, Brian Draper actually took of Cassie. I think she was just too sweet to tell him to fuck off. You know what I mean? Yep. Tori, in particular, harbored feelings of hatred towards Matt, Cassie's boyfriend. Uh, jealousy, mainly, for being the one that she chose. Uh, he was friendly with Matt, though. Matt considered Tori a friend. But Tori kind of inwardly hated Matt because he was, uh, Matt, like I said, Tori is a closeted coward. And confrontation with another male was probably terrifying to him. So he'd rather be friends with Matt if that meant that he could be close, get be around Cassie more than not like Matt at all. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. So to simplify the friendship between these four people, between Matt and Matt, Cassie, Tori, and Brian, Matt and Cassie are happy together. They're a happy couple, average American couple, both intelligent, both going places. And then there's kind of off to the side here, Tori and Brian on the outside, forever looking in. Uh, friends to both of them but both har harboring feelings of hatred and jealousy. It's kind of an odd way to t try to describe this relationship, right? Um, but I hope that makes sense, all of that. I think that was a, you know, th that was kind of a common dynamic. You, you think about it, not only does every kid really not feel like they fit in when they're that age with all their hormones and, you know, what 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 do they have to what the, what do they have to base life on? They've got life real. The, the reality is based on whatever your parents are telling you, and then whatever your teachers are telling you, and then whatever you consume media wise. Not only do you have to deal with all that, but you've also got to deal with like every other kid around you who also doesn't know all this stuff. So I remember, you know, there are friend circles where. You know, I'm close to some people, some people I really vibe with. And then there were a couple people that were part of our friend group that it's like, where you just kind of had to say, yeah, that's Paul. You know, He's every here. time, every time Paul did something, you just have to be like, well, that's Paul. Yeah. And, and your I frontal think, lobe doesn't even stop developing until what, 22, 23, yeah, I think. Exactly. These are still children. Yeah. Critical thinking skills are like yeah, just we're all starting to hatch. 16 years old. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this is why Cassie uh, was considered the first target for they. While she would be the first target for uh, for Brian and Tori, uh, mainly jealousy. It's so weird. Wouldn't you think that it would have been Matt? Like that's like it. It must have been that. It must have been well, that. Well, in painful. the movies, keep in mind this is all inspired by Scream. Matt can't be the first kill. It has in the movie. Drew Barrymore is the first victim. Yeah. Good points. Ten points. You. Drew Barrymore, a beautiful. And that movie, blonde-headed girl, but their excuse for her being the victim in their videotapes is that she's smart, she's pretty, and uh, just like the victims in the movies are supposed to be. And quote, Brian says, actually quote in the in one of the videotapes, quote, she's perfect. Quote. Mm. So weird. August two thousand six. 
So this is the month before the murder. Tori calls up one of his friends, an 18-year-old by the name of Joe Lacero, and asks Joe if he'll buy them some knives at a local pawn shop. Now, under the, Tori kind of uses the guys that he collects knives, and he did. So Joe has no reason to be suspicious. Joe's innocent in all this, but he does. So, yeah, I'm a friend. I'll meet up with you guys. And uh, like I said, Tori was only 16. Tori and Brian both. They were only 16, so they couldn't legally purchase knives. So, yeah, he meets up with them. Joe agrees. Uh, so him, Brian Draper, and Adam, and Tori Adamchick, they meet up. They go to an ATM. They pull 45 bucks out of an ATM and hit up a pawn shop, and they buy four knives. Four knives up for 45 bucks. Imagine the cheap flea market shit knives you're getting when you have four of them for $45. That's 11 bucks a piece after tax. Speaking of cheap stuff that you get as a trade-off because you're low on resources, did you know that in World War II the reason that the penny became zinc was because of a metal shortage global? I mean, everybody was having to make coins out of zinc. Germany even did because they had to assign all the, reallocate all the steel and other metals to the, the war effort. Hmm. Crazy, huh? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, history of Zinc's really, really quite interesting. Do you have a minute? I don't. Okay. I would like to say that if you're a school shooter, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> we don't want you. We don't need you, you douche. You're not part of our friend group. Why don't you go? We're not friends leave. with you, school shooter. Your mom goes to college. Your mom goes to college. What was that about that penny again? What was the fact? I'm not going to say it again. You can just rewind let, the episode. Entertain me. All right, fine. It was They that also purchased two stock white masks from the dollar store on that same day. Yeah. Uh, so they buy these two stock white masks up. They're made out of, uh, you've probably seen them before, super cheap. You can probably get them for like a dollar, two dollars now. They're, ma- they're compressed cardboard almost. And they're they're blank white. They look a lot like a mask that somebody from a Slipknot band would wear, yeah. in particular Joey Jordanson. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe you. You know what? The only thing I'm going to tell you right now, because I'm so mad about the way you keep kind of whipping around my my my, my past and my youth and my history, is it's Joey Jordanson. Yeah, Joey Jordanson. He was the drummer, correct? Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Slipknot, not really my cup of tea. But, uh, I mean, I get it. You get picked on. You listen to Slipknot. You know what I will say? I will say the the music, I, I, I first was really intrigued by the masks. Like, that was my thing. Because I, I really like practical effects. I like all that kind of stuff. And those masks were, like, off the chain. So, like, I, I actually still, I follow some of the artists that created those masks on Instagram. Like, I, I don't know. They're just really, really cool, really creative. I also think about performing for hours inside of a mask, and that mask oh, be has miserable. to be able. Mask don't latex uh, doesn't breathe. It doesn't at breathe all. at all. And so you got to imagine the construction that goes into those masks, just because those guys aren't like just standing still either. Those masks are flinging around with every hair whip those guys do. So imagine how bad that Corey Taylor Ghost Glow mask smelled after that oh. after that tour. Oh, oh, gosh. Yeah, it smelled like a hobo after a frothy game of basketball. <laughs> so I challenge you to look at these masks that Tori and Brian painted that they did this murder in. It is a almost a direct ripoff 
of uh, Joey Jordison's mask from Slipknot. Like the similarities are to the point of just blatant copying. And uh, if you're wondering what this mask looks like, it's basically just a mold of a face with the eyes cut out, and it's made out of uh, comp- compressed paper, almost like plastic, but not plastic. And they just added their own custom paint job to it. Looked little, really shitty, like a juggalo fucked a Slipknot fan, and they <laughs> painted a mask together. Uh <laughs> It just Afterward. looks like a Joey Jor- It's a Joey Jordison mask. And I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm so surprised that in all the documentaries I watched, all the shows I listened to, nobody has made this connection in any of the shows that I've listened to. He's a fan of Slipknot and he just made they just made Joey Jordison masks. That's all it is. And also I can't believe how much stuff I've fed up to you. I've just like teed up so many things. And the crazy thing is they're all bits of information about my past and yet they still seem to be just plopping right into the timeline here i don't really know how i feel about this so yeah brian you know he's he's mormon um <laughs> loves computers oh gosh <laughs> loves joey jordanson <laughs> hey you know what you mentioned blockbuster and you're wearing a shirt that looks like blockbuster so how about that but it's oh it's not a blockbuster shirt it says horror hound weekend okay yeah. Which is a convention. It looks like a blockbuster shirt, though. It does. It does. That's when I saw it. I was like, "Hey, you wore that shirt on purpose." Almost got me. Darn it! I don't like Slipknot, <laughs> and I don't, I'm confused about my religion <laughs> and scared because I don't know what's going to happen when we die. And that's why I'm nice to you. There might be nothing at all. <laughs> there might be flames for all eternity. I've been waiting to hear this part of your your life, Kent, about how you're confused about things. You ever thought if there's a supreme being up there? I'd think about it a lot, actually. <laughs> Especially as I get older and my blood pressure gets worse. <laughs> I'll know when you're like on a steep decline where you're like, hey, uh, hey, uh, you got one of the pamphlets? That, what was that book called? <laughs> I feel like I got to read that. <laughs> uh, so they've got their masks, they got their knobs. In the third week of September of 2006, unfortunately, Cassie reveals to Brian Draper during a class that she's going to be house-sitting for her aunt and uncle, for her aunt and uncle the weekend of the 22nd. Now, Cassie's uh, aunt and uncle, Uncle Frank and Allison Contreras were their names, they asked Cassie to watch over their animals. They had three cats and two dogs, and no matter how hard I tried, I could not find out what breed of dogs these were. Dang it. I would imagine they're smaller dogs just because of some things that happened later in the story. But she does say, hey, we're going away. Uh, you know, we're going away for the weekend. Little mini vacay. Cassie's an, an independent, you know, responsible young lady. Will you watch our three cats and two dogs at our house while we're gone? She says, absolutely. And upon hearing this, Brian Draper says, quote, oh, so you're telling me you're having a party, huh? And Cassie's like, uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just having a conversation with you because you're a fucking loser. That's probably what she was thinking, right? But she's like, no, I'm just having a, just talking, just chit-chatting. But she does yeah. reveal to Brian Draper that Matt would be coming out and hanging out with her while she's there that weekend, and that'll be it. It'll just be her and Matt. Like I said, Cassie, she's a dependable young lady. Uh, she would never be one to throw a party at her uncle's house without their approval. So even if one of her girlfriends came up to her at school and they were like, her friend was like, you know, Hey, so I heard you got a big house to yourself this weekend. Can me and Chad come out and hang out and use like a room and maybe fuck? Oh my gosh. Cassie would probably be like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There will be no hand jobs under my watch. 
That's the kind of girl she was. That's a weird kink, too. That's hard to get a get that underneath a watch. It's a pretty tight fit. <laughs> hmm. I mean, not if you put the watch on the... Like, oh, yeah, I guess, but... I'm talking about a pretty wide wristband. Not really, maybe. Maybe. Let's open it up one one hole. So long story short, Cassie's going to be alone the weekend of the 22nd. Well, mostly alone. She's going to be with Matt in a big house out in the middle of nowhere. And anyways, this is when Brian and Tori decide it is time to strike. She'll be there mostly alone. It'll be perfect. And uh, it's also around this time that they decide their second victim. And that was going to be a young lady by the name of Miranda Chacon. And uh, they just, the reason for that is they just didn't like her. Tori actually says in one of the videos, quote, she's just a bitch, so we got to kill her. Unquote. Wow. Jeez. And on that up, we are going to end episode one. This is going to be a two-episode little, I'm going to start doing this more often because I feel like, you know, three-hour episodes, uh, that's what all TCKs are most of the time, two, three hours. But we've talked up, and me and you are going to start breaking these up over the span of two episodes, so they're more digestible, right? Oh, yeah, that was, yeah. I don't think, I thought it was ad revenue, but yeah, okay, digestible. And ad sure. revenue as yeah. well. Yeah, it's good for the pockets. Mm. We love being open and transparent here. I, I it's about so. ad revenue, and <laughs> it's about, but it's also, it makes it more digestible. It right. does. It's, it's the best. A lot of times people will look at something, they'll be like, three hours, I don't fucking have time for that. This way you can look, you can, so... That being said, if you're like, oh, shit, now we're going to have to wait two hours or two weeks for part two. No, you're not. Every episode that we drop from here on out that is multi-parter will be dropped on the same day. Yes. So you're not going to have to wait to listen to the next one. Right. But with that, that's going to end uh, part one of the Scream Killers. And uh, we're going to get into the uh, into the gory bits on the next episode, as well as some audio clips from Tori and Brian themselves. Oh, fun. I love audio clips. I have a whole show based on it. I can't stand you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>